0: Hello everyone. Welcome to a new year of daily gospel. Got a lot of stuff in store for you and I'm really excited to be starting this new series on the Psalms. So if you've been with us for the last couple of years, you know that we've been walking through the Bible section by section and we've done that over the course of 2 years. We've got at this point about 60 plus hours of videos just walking through the Bible to help you get a broad understanding of what God's word is all about and the one thing that we skipped over that you may have noticed is we never touched on the psalms and that was intentional we wanted to leave the psalms as just this something that we could dig into more in depth over this year and really it'll be probably a couple of years so we're going to dig into the psalms we're going to treat them pretty much one at a time some of them we might um, combine together some we might have multiple parts like psalm 119 but um, our, our goal in this as always is to help you know God through His Word and through His Son, Jesus Christ. So we're going to see what's in the psalm, um, why this helps us to to know God, and how it points us forward to Jesus Christ. So there's so much wealth here, and today we're tackling the very first psalm. And there is so much good stuff in this psalm. So I'm excited to to dig into this together. So Psalms 1 and 2 kind of function as an introduction to the book of psalms which is also referred to as the Psalter. So the book of psalms this is kind of the introduction and we the reason why we say this and a lot of people agree with this that these these two kind of function together as one is that both of them are missing titles or missing headings. So in your in your English Bible, you might see a a title in English, like mine on Psalm 1, it says the way of the righteous and, and the wicked. But if you go to Psalm 3, you'll see not only a title that was added by the editors, but also a kind of a heading. So it says a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So that heading is actually original to scripture, whereas the title that's given in our English Bible isn't. So both of these Psalms, interestingly enough, don't have any sort of heading So that's one thing that makes them a little bit different. And then they also have many similar words and themes. So we'll see this more when we go to Psalm two, we'll see more of the details of that, but there's a lot of crossover, a lot of connections between these two, even though they have very different flavors and a very different focus, they both seem to have one unified message. And together these two give us kind of introduction and what the Psalms are all about. So Psalm one, is focused on the Torah, on the law of God, or we might say the Word of God. That's what Psalm 1 is focused on. It's focused on the two different ways that you can respond to God's Word. You can reject it, or you can embrace it, you can be against it, or you can delight in it. That's what Psalm 1 is about. It's a very simple psalm. In fact, it kind of reads almost like the book of Proverbs. It's it's very interesting in that way. It kind of has a wisdom um, flavor. Of course, psalms are wisdom books, but it's as opposed to being a psalm of praise or a psalm of lament, it really is focused on wisdom itself. So it clues us into what the psalms are all about. Now, there are three psalms in, in the book of Psalms that are what we call Torah psalms. They focus heavily on the law or on the word of God. And it's easy to remember what they are because they're, they're Psalm 1, Psalm 19, and Psalm 119. So Psalm 1, Psalm 19, and Psalm 119. So it's very easy to remember these, and they, they play a very important role in the structure of the book. They're usually connected to a, a messianic psalm, a psalm focused on the coming king, the Messiah, the anointed one. So we'll see more as we get to these these um, psalms, but in a big way, the book of psalms is kind of built around these Torah psalms, these these psalms about the word of God. So the psalms are intentional about exalting the place of the word of God in the life of God's people. So this psalm is going to show us what what the psalms are all about. It starts off with the word blessed, and that's an incredibly powerful word in scripture. It, It refers to simply being happy or being fulfilled. God, cho- God, God created us to be blessed and to seek after blessing in him. And so this psalm is going to give us the secret of how we can have a blessed, a happy life. Now, there's no one, I'm sure, watching this that wouldn't want to be happy, wouldn't want to be blessed. So this is important for all of us to, to read, to understand, and to live in accordance with it. So blessing, we see this idea of blessing early on in Scripture right? In Genesis chapter 1, God blesses his creation. He blesses humanity. He tells us to be fruitful and multiply. So God's blessing is part of his creation order. We see this in the call of Abraham. When Abraham is called by God, he's called to be blessed and to be a blessing. In Genesis chapter 2, or chapter chapter 12, sorry, verse 2, he says to Abraham, God says to Abraham, Um, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So Abram's going to be blessed so he can bless others, so he can do good to the world. And then in verse three, it says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So blessing, this happiness or fulfillment, it comes from the people of God. That's going to be the conduit of blessing to the entire world, and it'll culminate in Jesus Christ. And in Moses, um, in his books, he shows us what blessing means in, in showing us these blessings and curses. In Leviticus chapter 26, we see a set of blessings and curses, so blessings if you're obedient and curses if you're disobedient. And in Deuteronomy 27 and 28, we see the same thing. So what we see in those is that blessing is about being close to God about being obedient to God, and that it it uh, is expressed, and as a result, you receive from God all good things. So every area of your life is affected by this blessing, and cursing is the same way. Curse is about separation from God, and it's about being disobedient, and as a result, you have separation from all the gifts that God brings. So blessing and curse are big themes in Scripture. And, and we'll see in a little bit, when Jesus starts his ministry, In in Matthew chapter 5, he starts off by saying, blessed. Jesus comes to bring blessing. So blessing is such an important idea in the scriptures. And the Psalms are here to show us how we can find blessing. So let's go through this. It's a pretty simple structure to this psalm. It's basically just first we'll see the path of blessing and then we'll see the path of destruction. The path of blessing and the path of destruction. So verses 1 through 3, we see the path of blessing blessing. The first thing we see is that happiness comes as a result of a certain kind of life. Um, So look at verses, we'll start with verses one and two. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So this shows us that happiness doesn't just happen. Um, It has to be something that is pursued in the right way. And there's a positive side to this and a negative side to to this. So just like we might say, in order for you to be physically healthy, you need to positively exercise and you need to negatively avoid bad foods, right? There's certain things that you don't do and certain things that you do in order to be healthy. Well, here the psalmist is doing a similar thing. He's saying there's certain things to avoid, and certain things to embrace if you want to be blessed. So, blessing comes first from rejecting certain things. So, in verse one, he talks about how there's you shouldn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. So, there's there's three verbs here that are very important, right? There's walking, standing, and sitting, and there's sort of a, a progression happening here. You know, I've heard many times people point out that. This is sort of a, a, this sort of a progression from walking as you're sort of moving with people, standing as you've now stopped, you've sort of, you sort of established yourself in a way of life, and then sitting as you've fully settled into that way of life. So walking refers to the course of your life. In Genesis chapter 5, we see that Enoch walked with God. What that means is not that he you know, went on a walk with God, but that he was he had a pattern of his life to be with God. And so here, the walking is not a positive thing. It's walking in the counsel of the wicked. The counsel of the wicked are the advice and the goals and the values of wicked people. So walking in that way is going to lead to bad things, right? You should not do that if you want to be blessed. But walking in the counsel of the wicked will eventually lead you to standing, standing in the way of sinners. So again, this is a growing settledness in this lifestyle. You're becoming used to it. You're becoming familiar with it until eventually you're sitting in the seat of scoffers. So now you've fully planted your life in in wickedness and you're casting judgment on other people. A scoffer is someone who mocks the righteous, who looks down on those who follow after God. And so this is somebody who mocks and hates God. And so we see a progression here. If you're not careful... You're, you're going to be moving in one direction or another, either either toward God and toward faithfulness or away from him and toward wickedness. This, this text is just so simple in that way. It's so helpful. So blessing comes from rejecting some things, but it also comes from moving toward other things or holding fast to other things. It's not enough just to avoid bad things to be blessed. You have to actively do what God calls you to do. Look at verse 2. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. So the repeated word here is law, right? So we we clue into words that are repeated. So this is obviously the object of both phrases and the author doesn't want you to miss this. That's what's in focus. It's referring to God's word. So again, that word law is the word instruction or Torah as we know it. But it's one way to generally refer to, especially in the Old Testament, to refer to all of God's word. And look at the verbs here in terms of how you're relating to God's word. So the law is what's in focus, but what is your attitude or what are your actions in regards to God's word? The first thing he says is that you should have delight in the law of the Lord. You should have a a real pleasure in God's word. This is so key. It's not enough just to know God's word. Do you actually enjoy it? Do you seek after it? Do you hunger for it? So you delight in God's word, and also he meditates on God's word. He meditates on God's word. Um, this is, this is uh, the word murmur in Hebrew, and it refers to sort of kind of reading and ruminating on something, sort of maybe reading it aloud to yourself and thinking through it and and really ruminating on it and, and soaking in it. And this is a meditation that should happen day and night. So it's, it's a comprehensive idea. That your life is spent thinking on, pondering on, and applying God's word. This is, this is the key to being blessed. So you avoid what is bad. You turn away from the wicked who would draw you away from God's word. And instead, you hold fast to God's word. You delight in it. You think on it. You soak your mind in it. So that's it. It's very simple, right? But we have to ask the question of, well, why does God's word bring blessing? What is it about god's word that brings blessing and we have the answer to that in verse three so verse three is is an an awesome verse as well verse three it says he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither in all that he does he prospers so here an illustration is given to explain the, the, the status or the state of somebody who is in god's word who's meditating on god's word and this illustration is very instructive right the, the there's a fruitful tree here and the fruitful tree isn't fruitful by accident it's placed in the right location it's it's grounded in the right thing in the near east of course water is so vital because it's such a scarcity very often and so if you don't have abundance of water like we do in, in california well i know we're, we're having droughts all the time but You know, many places in America, there's abundance of water. And so this is a strange metaphor for us. Of course, we have running water, we have access to water. But for them, they were dependent upon rain and upon springs of water. And so to have something planted in this oasis um, was a key to life. So God's word, the idea here is that God's word connects us to a vital source of life. This is why God's word is the key to blessing. So by holding fast to his word is key. It says that, that, that this this man is planted by streams of water. So he has an ongoing connection to God's word. He's firmly established in God's word. And the result is that he will yield his fruit in its season. This tree yields its fruit. And so just as we as people, we yield fruit if we're in God's word. So it means it brings forth fruit, ripe, good fruit at the right time, according to God's plan. And it doesn't, so it doesn't just survive, it, it thrives to the point of it can actually provide sustenance and blessing to other people. So when you have God's word, when you're planted in God's word, you're connected to, this, to this, the life that comes only from God. And the result is that you're going to have blessing and overflow in your life as well. So it yields its fruit and its leaf does not wither. So not only is it fruitful, but it endures, it continues, it lasts and then that final phrase in verse 3 says, In all that he does, he prospers. Man, all of us, I believe, want to be prosperous in some way. And the key to pro- blessing, the key to prosperity is here. It's being connected to God through his word. You know, this picture kind of reminds me of the Garden of Eden. I think that's, that's supposed to be <clears throat> somewhat coming to mind for us, right? Being in God's word returns us to this prosperous state That God created us in originally before we uh, rebelled against him and abandoned him to sin. So we need connection to God through his word. And that leads us back to that sort of Edenic state, that paradise that we lost. So for the first three verses, show us the path of blessing. And then the last three verses, verses four through six, show us the path of destruction. Very simple. Verse four says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So he immediately turns from here's how to be blessed to then focusing on the wicked. So he's going to now zero in on what it means to be a wicked person. And he's saying there's a direct contrast here. There, there's sort of a binary, right? So the, the wicked are not like that. They are the opposite of a tree firmly planted and bearing fruit. They're instead like chaff. Chaff is, if you're not familiar with this, chaff is a part of the plant. It's the husk of, of grain, and chaff is light and it's useless so when they would thresh the grain right they would they would beat the 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 wheat plant again i'm i'm not a farmer so this is my limited knowledge but they would they would beat it and then when they would get a, a winnowing fork and they would throw it up in the air and the heavier grain would go up and fall back down but the chaff the outward husk would fly away so the wind would take it away and, so that, and that's the way you get rid of the worthless part and get what is actually valuable. And here he's saying that this is the, the metaphor for the wicked. The wicked are like that. They're not worth anything. They don't have any weight, they don't have any substance to them because of the way that they live. In fact, we see Jesus, oh, I'm sorry, John the Baptist um, using the same metaphor in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 right? When he's baptizing, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So if you've lived in a worthless way, then ultimately you will achieve worthlessness you will go away from God's word. You will not produce anything of value. You will not be a blessing to others. And instead, you will one day face judgment. That's what the next verse points us to in verse 5 of Psalm chapter 1. He says, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So the wicked will not stand. The idea there is being able to bear up under the judgment. You're going to fall in judgment instead of being able to endure and we see that he's now speaking beyond material prosperity. I think he always has been speaking beyond material prosperity, but it's really clear here. He's speaking about the final judgment. And so it's possible we could have missed that. We could have thought he's just talking about temporary blessing, about being fulfilled in this life, but he's not. The opposite of prospering, according to Bible, is not just poverty or failure, it's receiving judgment. It's, it's receiving the penalty for your sins. So, this blessing was about more than just having nice stuff. It was about knowing God and receiving forgiveness from Him. Look at verse six. This is how the the psalm ends. It says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So, the psalm which began with blessed ends with perish. So, there is destruction coming, and if we live against God's law, we're going to reap the consequences of that, we're going to receive judgment. So we're presented at the beginning of the Psalms with a very black and white way of viewing the world, right? A very, a very clear way of blessing and a way of curse, a way of righteousness and a way of wickedness. And so the Psalms are laying this out for us and it all depends upon how you respond to God's word. So what are some, some practical things we can take away from this? Well, one thing is choose your friends wisely. This is clear. Choose the people that you spend time with that you're influenced by. Choose them wisely. Now, of course, every pastor would say you should be with non-believers, sharing God's word with them. But I'm talking about the people that you're closest to, that you depend on, that you seek wisdom from. Who is influencing you? Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So are you walking in the counsel of the wicked? Are you depending upon people in your life primarily who are not in the church, who don't know God's word, who don't have his spirit? If so, that's going to lead you to harm. Maybe for you, the main influence isn't even a person. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's entertainment. Maybe it's people that you see on a screen. Are those people shaping you? If so, you are also walking in the counsel of the wicked. And the result of that, the, the path you're going on is going to lead to you sitting or, or standing and eventually sitting in that wickedness, being rebellious against God. So have you considered how the things in your life are shaping you? Have you considered how your friends are pushing you towards what is good or pushing you towards what is bad? Don't take that for granted. What about your education, the people that you learned from that you maybe admire in In the university in in a program that you're in do you tend to believe and look to the wisdom of people that are worldly as opposed to the wisdom of God yes we all have to at some time you know check a box finish a class and, and and learn things that maybe aren't as constructive but what is your value what is your focus on do you think that those people are more insightful or wise than God's word what about in your work whose influence do you value the most and on the positive side, take a chance to sit in the council of the wise. Care a lot about who you're with, who, who your company is, and be proactive about seeking out wise people so you can learn from them. That's what church can be. It can be a community where you can are able to sit and learn with people who are wiser than you and they can challenge you to grow in that. So that's the first thing. Be careful who your company is. Um, the second thing is, Remember that God's blessing is better. God's blessing is better. It's better to have the blessing of God than the benefit of the world. It's always better to have God than the world. Proverbs ten twenty two says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. That's amazing. So God enriches us both temporally and eternally, and he doesn't add, there's no downside. There's nothing negative that he adds to it. So God's blessing is always better than the world, which promises so much, but delivers so little. The next thing we see here is that God's word is life. Don't miss this, right? If you miss this in the Psalm, then you, you totally miss the point of the Psalm, right? God's word is life. Just like a tree can't be uprooted, and taken away from a source of water and live for very long, neither can you be away from God's word for very long. You need this word to nurture you, to to grow you. And this means we don't mess with God's word. We don't change it. We don't tamper with it because it's life itself. Don't neglect any part of it. Spend time in God's word. The, The fourth thing we see is that God's word is a delight. Are you delighting in God's word? Or have you begun to treat this book as if it's a chore? It's not enough to know it. It's not enough just to check a box and spend time in the word. We should be delighting in it, seeing how good and glorious and beautiful this word is. So treat God's word for what it is. It's infinitely precious and beautiful and life changing and compelling. And then the last thing I think we can see from this is that Jesus is the answer. So the final takeaway of a Psalm like this should not just be, I need to do better or be more moral. Maybe that's true. Maybe you do, right? Maybe you need to be in God's word more, of course. But it should always also be to turn us to the the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, in his life and in his ministry, understood what blessing was. And he understood what it meant to be tethered to God's word and faithful to God's word. When he was tempted, he responded again and again by quoting from this word. He knew it well. He lived in line with it. And Jesus, in his ministry, came to so that we would not perish, right? John 3, 16, very famously, right? Reminds us of that, that we should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's why Jesus came. And as I mentioned before, when he started his ministry with the Sermon on the Mount, he, he got up on a mountain and he said, blessed, blessed, over and over again, Jesus came to bring blessing and, and to take away and remove the curse of sin. So we can, we can learn a lot from this practically, but the biggest thing to learn from this is that you and I all fail in this. There are times when we will walk in the counsel of the wicked, when we will neglect to delight in God's word, and Jesus Christ did all of that perfectly. He's the one who can bring true blessing, full blessing, and save us from judgment that we are doomed to face. So this is just a a little bit, a little start into the Psalms. Um, Next week, we'll take on Psalm 2, which I think rounds out this psalm in some amazing ways. But this is how you can be blessed. The Bible gives us those answers. So I hope that you'll read it, you'll meditate on it, and you'll live in accordance with it.